0: Welcome. In case we haven't met, my name is Drew. I'm part of the pastoral team here at Horizon. And I'm excited to share with you today from the book of 1 Samuel as we've come to chapter 8. Now as I listened to Chad sharing with us from chapter 7 last week, I think one of the biggest things that hit me was the way that the people of Israel were worshiping God, then a crisis hit, and they didn't stop worshiping. And you know, we have been in the midst of some very strange times in our own world these days, with so many things being suspended and canceled and shut down, we are absolutely facing a crisis. I don't have to tell you that. And I love that idea that like, if we are seeking God, if we're seeking Jesus, if we want to know him better and we hit this moment, there's also almost something exciting about digging in deeper, persevering in that saying, I'm not going to stop worshiping him, trusting him, just because of what's going on around me. But what's interesting about 1 Samuel 8, as we come to this today, is this is almost like a view of the future for us. It appears to be some years later, when the crisis has passed, Samuel has been leading the people faithfully, and now that life has kind of gone back to normal, the people sort of passively begin to reject God's leadership again. And that passivity starts to become more active until we find ourselves in the midst of the moment that we're in here. So let's start in the book of First Samuel. This is chapter 8, and I'm reading from verse 1. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. That actually sounds a lot like Eli's sons from earlier in the book. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And that brings us to what is going to be our key verse this morning. 1 Samuel 8, 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. You see, essentially, for the people of Israel to come to Samuel and ask for a king meant that they did not want God as their leader anymore. Now, that's strange to think about. After everything that God has done in this book, after the miracle that we saw him do in chapter 7, but now as life kind of goes back to normal, they begin to think, we appreciate God's blessing, but we're not sure that we really want him in charge all the time, and they ask for a king. Now here I think is kind of the the warning for us. You and I are in the midst of crisis right now, but we know that this will pass. There will be a time where we either discover what the new normal is, or life really does go back to the way it was before. And sometimes when that happens, the intentionality, the purposefulness, the attention that we pay to our own behavior in the crisis begins to slip away. And so I want to help us today with three ways that we can avoid rejecting God when life is displeasing. Either because we're in the midst of a crisis and it's displeasing right now, or because as things go back to normal, our levels for what are displeasing kind of shift and change. And I know it's not as bad as it was, but I kind of don't really like this thing and I'm not sure that I really trust God right now or that I really want to walk in his way. So we want to find three ways to avoid rejecting God when life seems displeasing. So to do that, we're going to look into this chapter because the people of Israel, they come to Samuel and they basically give him two reasons that they want a king. Now the first one they say is because Samuel's sons did not walk in his ways. Now at the end of chapter seven, there's actually this incredible picture of how faithful Samuel's leadership was, that it's not just big sacrifices on the mountaintops. But that actually every single year he would go from this city to this city to this city to this city. And then back to his home city. And the next year he would do it again from this city to this city to this city to this city. And he would do it again and again. Every year faithfully serving every city. Judging them, leading them, teaching them about God, showing them what worship is. And those couple of words summarize probably 95% of Samuel's leadership. He was faithful, he was trustworthy, he was honest, he was in tune with God. But apparently his sons were different. But here's what's interesting. When you think about this excuse that the people are giving, they say, we want a king because your sons are corrupt. Now, even if that's true, which it appears to be, well, wait a minute, a few chapters ago, Eli's sons were even more corrupt and nobody kicked them out. And nobody kicked Eli out. Now maybe they should have, but the same people didn't respond the same way in that same circumstance. And actually, if you think about it, if their problem is that a good leader could end up having bad kids and they wouldn't want those kids to become leaders, well, hey, that's how kings work, right? Like if a man becomes king, then it becomes a succession plan. So moving on from Samuel's sons doesn't give them any guarantee that kings would somehow have better sons, better grandsons, or anything else. It's a pretty weak argument, which I think tells us that actually the second reason they give us is probably the real one. The second reason they give is they want a king like all the nations. They want to be the same as the people around them. In this moment, after all the good things that God has done, when things have shifted back to a place of comfort and a place of security, they start thinking life is easy. And so do we really have to do all this hard stuff, God said? Can't we have a king like the other nations who will judge us? You see, they would have been looking around them at places like Egypt, where they have the statues of the pharaohs who have lasted for centuries. Names like Ramses that we still know. They may also have thought of some of the kings closer to them. This is a statue of the Ammonite king, Yerah Azar, who would have been a couple hundred years after this, but gives the same idea. Or, Or even the Philistines at that time. Now, the Philistines were usually very tribal and they often did not have a unifying king. And yet, in the book of 1 Samuel, there are multiple places where it describes a man named Abimelech, which is the Philistine word for king. So Israel is looking around them and saying, everybody's got a king. Even the Philistines have a king. We want a king to be like all the nations. We want to be like everybody else. I mean, is that not the most junior high thing you've ever heard? With all apologies to junior highers watching this, I'm saying that as a man who has experience going to junior high. (laughs) And how much energy I wasted trying to be like everybody else, right? But that's exactly what they've got going on here. And so here's the first way that we avoid this. I think you've got to go to your king when you are displeased. Now, I'm actually gonna suggest that this is what you do every time, whether you realize it or not. Every time that we find that life doesn't match up exactly how we want, whether that's because we are in the midst of a crisis or whether it's because we actually feel relatively comfortable and we just wish things were a little bit better. Or there's something that someone has done to us over here that hurt us and we don't like it. And emotions start to stir inside us, we feel frustration, we can feel anger, we feel hurt. You know, we long for something. Or on the negative side, we lust for something. There's something about life that we're not pleased with. I would suggest that when that happens, you always run to your king. So the question becomes, who or what is your king? See, for Samuel, that was God. It says the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed. When life was displeasing to Samuel, Samuel went to talk to God and he poured out his heart to him. He, he told God everything that had been going on, everything that was in his story, everything that the people around him were doing and thinking and saying, and how crazy it seemed that a world that was just fine a couple of weeks ago is all being thrown up in the air because people decided something else is gonna tr- control them, control their decisions and control their lives besides their confidence in God. It's frustrating to Samuel, so he prays. He talks God about it. You see, what I love about this is that Samuel has relationship with God. That this goes far beyond just the ritual, just the sacrifice, and those things were important. And Samuel wanted to know how to do those, and he wanted to do them well. But he also had a meaningful, heartfelt, day-to-day relationship with the God he trusted. That this God was near to him. This God could listen to him that Samuel could speak to him. In fact, I I love the way that God responds here because he says to Samuel, the first thing he says, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. I love that you notice in this moment, even before God explains how what the people's real problem is, is that they've rejected God Even before he gets there, it's like he knows the heart of Samuel so well that without Samuel even saying it, God knows Samuel is hurting. You see, Samuel's losing something here. And you may feel this. Samuel is losing reputation. He's losing influence. He's losing authority. In a very real sense, Samuel is losing his job. He has been the leader of the people of Israel, the one who speaks to God on their behalf, who speaks to them on behalf of God. He was the one who was there when the Ark of the Covenant came back, who led them in worship and didn't stop when the crisis happened and the enemy attacked. For Faithfully, for years, going around to all these cities and he's losing it now because they want a king. As you think about what Samuel has lost, some of that is his security, the comfort zone that he'd been living in. Not to say that it was ever safe, but it's something that he's had that is gone now. And it challenges him to have to think, who is his king? And he knew that answer was God, but I think that's a question we want to ask ourselves. So just think about that right now. Because often we don't think about kings, right? Like a couple hundred years ago in this country, a lot of people fought a big war so that we wouldn't have a king. We could vote and we could have democracy and all of those things. So the concept is somewhat foreign to us. But if you think about the king as the thing that controls your decisions, the thing as the king that sets the guidelines for your life, whether you give into that actively or passively, you can begin to ask yourself, what is my king? Here's some questions that help me. When I ask myself, How do I react when I lose what Samuel's losing? That influence, that authority, that position. How do I react when someone else is made lead on the project that I had really set my heart on? How do I react when someone else passes me up for a promotion? How do I react, even worse than that, when somebody else gets the credit for the hard work that I did? Or if you're a student, you know, how do I react when I don't get the grades I was going for or somebody else has better grades than I do when somebody else seems to make more friends or get more attention and I don't think they're that much better than I am? You know, I remember thinking even just back in high school playing basketball, like how do I react when I work as hard as I can in practice and coach makes somebody else the starting point guard who averages two turnovers per game more than I do? Like, where do I go in that moment? Where do you go in that moment? What happens to your mind? What is the king that you run to? Where are you looking for security? Or maybe if we bring it into the days that we are in right now, how do I react? Who is in charge? What determines the decisions that I make when a disease sweeps over the entire planet? When the things I enjoy, the things I was excited for, or just the things I need are shut down. What happens inside my heart, inside my head? What starts to control my thoughts? Like the film reel that Chad described a couple of weeks ago. When I get to Kroger and Meyer and Walmart and there is no teepee anywhere. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've been shocked in the last couple of weeks to realize some of the ways that I think that I didn't even know were in there. Like, I know that we're all dealing with what's going on differently. And there's times where I, I wake up on a given day and I say, I can't believe that people are freaking out about this and panicking about this. And I mean, we gotta do what we gotta do and we gotta be safe, but we'll get through this and we'll be fine. And, and almost to push away as if like, I would never be afraid of things like that. I trust God. And I do. And yet in these last couple of weeks, there are times where I'll wake up in the night anxious. About what? Or I'll wake up in the morning and just kind of feeling low. About what? And for me, I realized it's amazing how much tension I can feel when I no longer control my own schedule. Something that simple. That I know what I do on Tuesdays, I know what I do on Fridays, I know what my rhythm is in between there, and I know how I spend my Mondays. And when all of that changes because the world is changing, it's amazing how much can churn inside of me because of that. How quickly my thoughts can want to go to accusation or frustration. And if I run to those things, if that's where my security was, I begin to run to fear, I begin to run to frustration. You know, I I may begin to run to other things to just try to block that out. More video games, more Netflix, whatever that is for you or for me. But I need to run to God as king. If I go to him, then he helps me filter out the negative thoughts that hurt me and may lead me to hurt others. And he starts to remind me that although the world is not in control, he is because he is king. So the second thing that I want us to understand as a way to avoid this don't reject God's reign. Now I know on the surface, that is like the most obvious thing I could possibly say. And yet we see it happen, right? It says they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. God is saying this passive thing, this thing where they begin to just look for a little bit of a different, maybe they think they're adding a king. God's saying, no, this is rejecting me. You are not going to be ruled by God and something else. You are not going to be able to serve God and something else. You can't take God and fear and say, they both helped me make decisions. No, one or the other will become your king. And so he says in verse eight, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. See, God is saying that this is not passive. This is not merely just adding something else, a king that we might enjoy. God is saying this is rejection of his reign in which they forsake him and serve other gods. A little bit different than Dagon that we may have seen earlier in the book. right? That, that's more obvious, right? There's a foreign nation. They're enemies of ours and they built themselves, they built themselves a statue to serve. They worship a piece of stone that they built. That's an idol. Clearly, we don't want to serve other gods. But look at this. God is saying that they have been doing this all along and he puts this request for a king in the same category because any time that our actions, our desires, our thoughts are led by something besides God, that's a foreign king, that's a false God. You see, they're rejecting his reign. They want a king to reign over them. They want a king to tell them how life should work. They want a king to tell them what to do. And so God says, then you need to give them a warning. You see, the warning is that this is going to be a king who will take in fact listen to the next few verses this is this is so crazy because Samuel speaks all of these words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king and he said this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you he will take your sons And appoint them for his own chariots. And to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands. And captains over his fifties. Will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters. To be perfumers To be cooks and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage, and give it to his officers and his servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them to his work. You know what's next? He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. (laughs) And then God wants to be very clear about where this ends up. He says, And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear you on that day. Whoa. The Lord will not hear you in that day. Now you and I, as we listen to that, what you need to realize is every other king, every other king besides God himself, the king of kings, every other king is a taking king. But God is a giving king. This is the God who brought them out of slavery. This is the God who gave them a homeland. This is the God who has protected them from their enemies. This is the God who loves them. The God who wants a relationship with every single one of us, with you, just like he has with Samuel. He is a giving God. And when we hear that, how would we respond? Well, look at how the people respond in the next two verses. Nevertheless, well, that can't be good. <laughs> Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. That we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Even with everything else already in mind, they still rejected God. That's why as much as it can sound like the most obvious thing in the world to say don't reject his reign, you and I need to think about that seriously. To do a self-inventory, are there places in my life Where maybe it's active and I know it and I'm just fighting back, but maybe it's passive and I haven't noticed yet that I'm leading away from his kingship in my life. You see, with what we're facing with the spread of coronavirus right now, there are circumstances around us that are confusing. They are scary. They're painful. And some of us are experiencing more loss than others. I know that some of you are in positions where some of the loss that other people feel is weighing on your shoulders. And sometimes it is in circumstances like that that unintentionally we begin to drift. We begin to respond a little bit more to a different king. We begin to wonder if God is as trustworthy as we thought. But for some of us, it's not the circumstances. It's the standards that God has for us. That even when circumstances get better, there are things that God is asking us to do or not do that we may not actively say, well, forget God, I'm going to do what I want. But we start to lean in that direction. You see, that's what was happening for Israel. And I think that's why First Samuel 8 is so interesting for us. Because we're going to come to a time where the crisis is in the past. We're going to come back to a moment that feels like it did a month ago or two months ago or three years ago. What king will we serve? What king will we obey? Tim Keller um, gives a warning about something that he calls cultural captivity. This idea that we've been taken in captive by another king. And what he means when he says that is, is that for Christians, for followers of Christ, you have so much freedom to live in this world Delivered, forgiven, past, present and future of every mistake you could possibly make of every single time that you've ever leaned in or followed or obeyed a different king Christ offers forgiveness for that and we live in that freedom But the warning that he gives is that sometimes we then become captives to culture instead. That in our freedom, in our desire not to be legalistic, we begin to experience and look more and more and more like our culture. More and more and more like all the nations. Everybody else. But guys, men, women, students, teenagers, kids, followers of Christ we are called to be different because we serve a different king. And that should look like something. That should show. So think about this. Would you be able to tell the difference between me and all the nations, the culture, everybody else? If you look at my YouTube recommendations, right, if we looked at each other's Netflix queue, what you're binge watching these days while we're all sitting at home, Right. Would you be able to tell the difference if you heard the way I talked to my spouse? If I listened to the way you talked to your kids when nobody else is around? Would I know what king you serve? See, because the question becomes who makes decisions for you? Who sets the standard? And who do I obey? Who decides what is a marriage? Who decides when a child's life matters? Who decides how I spend my time, spend my money? Who decides how I respond to global panic? And here's the wonderful thing. When we trust God as that king, because he is not a taking king. God is a giving king. In fact, God knows that we make mistakes in every area that I just described. And God alone is the one who says, not only does he set the standard, but he understands you can't reach that standard. But instead of saying, ah, so don't worry about it. Don't even try. God says, I will help you. In fact, the third strategy for us is to trust the king who was rejected for you that there is a king who was rejected precisely so that even though you and I have made these mistakes and we've rejected him, he took that rejection so that you and I don't have to. Look at how this shows up at the end of the chapter for Samuel. Samuel heard all the words of the people. He repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. Once again, he comes back to prayer. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. Life was displeasing. Samuel didn't like what was happening. And yet he continues to come back to this king. He continues to come back to God, even though everyone else has rejected him. And God is still there. The incredible thing about God is that even when we reject him, he is still king. Even when they ask for a human king, it's going to be God who chooses him. And we can always count on him. In fact, it actually seems like a king might have been part of God's plan in the first place. At the very least, he saw this ahead of time. Because all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, God says this, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Well, that sounds eerily familiar. He says, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. I wonder maybe if the people just jumped the gun a little bit. If they had waited, would David have been the first king? A man after God's own heart? Are they going to get Saul first because they pushed ahead of God's plan? And yet, if you go read this, I'll give you this homework. I know you've got time. Deuteronomy 17, start with verse 14 and keep going. The way that God describes this king, the things that this king, what are the first things this king is supposed to do, sit down with the book of the law, write it out by hand. Because God wants his king to be humble, to be giving, to be led by God's word. See, that's the kind of perfect king that God was planning for. That would ultimately be fulfilled By the one that we call the King of Kings. You see, Jesus Christ himself was a rejected King. We are mere weeks away from Easter when we celebrate, strange word to use for a death, we celebrate Christ's death and resurrection. We celebrate that the King of Kings was rejected for us. In fact, in John 19, 15, when Jesus is on trial, essentially for actually being who he said he was, for telling us all that we should love each other instead of taking advantage of each other, apparently they didn't like that. And so the crowd of his own people cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Christ himself rejected for us. A couple of months ago, I was talking to a friend of mine. He had recently become a follower of Christ. After just years of asking great questions, really kind of pushing through it, he wanted to make sure he understood what he was believing and what he was committing to. And it was interesting that now that he'd put his faith in Christ, he started asking questions like, does that mean I, I can't do this anymore? Or how much of that can I do? Does it, does it mean I should do this now? And how much of that should I do? And what was really interesting was after we peel back some of those layers, it really was a question of kingship. You see, for all of us, there's a throne in our lives. And the most natural thing is that I sit on the throne. And a lot of times we feel like that's true. I control my schedule. You know, I hire my staff. I control their schedules. I'm balancing the books. I'm looking at where we expand. Then something like coronavirus hits and changes everything. And I realize I am not as powerful of a king as I thought. And for this friend, he had to start asking himself, who sits on the throne of my life? (laughs) It's funny because I think we all do this. And I'll be honest, this happens to me. But... You know, as we look at the conversation now, we laugh because you could tell he's kind of doing this like, well, Jesus, I want you to be king in my life too. Like we both can. I got, I got space. Do you want to sit by me? When what Jesus is really asking for is that we bow down. That he alone sits on the throne of our lives. And it's been amazing to see that guy grow as he finds more and more places in life where he says, I wanna get off the throne. Even if it might be difficult, I know that there is a blessing here. I know that God is good. I know that God is giving and I'm going to trust Jesus to be king. In fact, I think that's the encouragement that I would give you as we wrap up today. Trust God as king today. Absolutely trust him for your eternity. In fact, if you have never before said that you trust Jesus as your king, he wants to be your savior and your king. That he will take every single mistake you've ever made, past, present, and future, every time you've rejected God, and through his cross and his resurrection, forgive you. But then he doesn't want to just say, and hey, I'll see you when you get to heaven. He wants to spend every day with you like he does with Samuel. Talk to him, pray to him, Trust him forever, but trust God as king today. Because we are in a very unique situation in life right now. We have a time where the people around us don't know who to trust, don't know what to trust, and things that we have been trusting have fallen out from under us. And maybe it lasts two weeks, maybe it lasts two months, I don't know, neither do you. But while everything else is shifting, We can be steadfast because God is steadfast. We have an opportunity for the people around us, our friends, our neighbors, to see not that we're in control of everything, but that we trust God when we're not. That we find joy, we find peace, even when we lose things like Samuel lost. That's why we're still working so hard to do these videos you know, To put things out online, to, to, to make phone calls, to check in on people. And that's why you're doing that. I've loved seeing how that's happening in the, in the recent days and how I've been encouraged. Because not just at Horizon, but as followers of Christ, as servants of the king, we believe that we are here for a purpose. And you might have opportunities even in the coming days to encourage those around you to serve a trustworthy king. And so I want to close in prayer. And I thought as I did, I'll just give you this little tidbit. A couple weeks ago, I was able to go on a trip to Israel. And one of the things that I learned while I was there from our guide was about the word, amen. The word that I'll end this prayer with, the word that we end most of our prayers with. What he told me was that as a kid, they teach Jewish children from the Talmud that the word, amen, which in Hebrew just means something like trustworthy, faithful, can also function as an acronym this is the Talmud has been teaching this for hundreds of years and, and they all know it, that it works like an acronym for the Hebrew phrase, El Melech Ne'aman. El Melech Ne'aman, God, King who is trustworthy. So that they will start prayers with amen, with the reminder that God is the trustworthy King and they'll end prayers with amen, that God is the trustworthy King. So let's pray that way right now. God, trustworthy king. Thank you for the words of First Samuel. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you warn us. God, I just pray that we would hear it today. That whether we need it today or whether we need to remember it when we come through this time, that we would not give in to fear, we would not give in to culture, but that God, we would know you as king as personally as Samuel did. God, I pray for people Right now in this season as we are frightened, as we are confused, as we are uncertain. God, would you just put your arms around us. Would you speak the things to us like you did to Samuel that maybe we don't even know how to say them yet. That you would just tell us, hey, I know you're afraid, but I am steadfast, I am strong, I am trustworthy. God, would you help our hearts to hear it and to trust you. To trust in the name of Jesus, the King of Kings. Oh God our trustworthy king. Amen.